TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed, and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer, and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training, and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Stewie, how's your day? Rich, it's absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, I am really quite excited to, uh, to be on the call today with our special guest. Mm-hmm. Um, shall I introduce him? Please do. Well, our special guest today has had an extraordinary career. He's worked in the arts as a sculptor, as a set designer for the Melbourne Theatre Company. He's been a prop maker on TV and on film, including productions like The Anzacs and The Man from Snowy River 2. He's also an award-winning art director in the ad industry, a successful inventor and manufacturer, and he's currently selling his products all over the world. Peter O'Brien, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Nice rap. You've been busy. That, uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> that, is a, that is one uh, stupendous rap, Pete. Um, uh, how did it begin? Well, um, from art school days, or uh, I guess before art school, I was a fairly shy kid. Um, going to art school probably reflects that. Um, after I did sculpture, I came to, you know, what will I do? I ran around a few houses and... That wasn't really exciting enough for me, and it was a little bit, little bit lonely. I um, went off to. I decided that having done a, a one unit of uh, drama uh, where I was making props at art school, I decided I'd go out and get a prop job. I went around uh, Melbourne looking for. Um, well, I visited the opera, uh, the ballet, and uh, Melbourne Theatre Company, who instantly gave me a job for six weeks. Um, I got in there. I, I liked it. Um, I didn't like the money, uh, so <laughs> I uh, decided. We all have those stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think theatre is still probably suffering from that. Um, so I, I ended up being there for six months. Uh, I then went out and uh, uh, applied around for work in advertising industry and anywhere for prop making. I think uh, I think one of my props cost. Uh, the same as the whole budget for one of the Melbourne City Company plays at one point. Um, I was doing that for a number of years and, and I was um, very successful. Um, and, you know, it, it, it also, though, it became fairly lonely that you, you're making props in a room, in a, a shed by yourself. So, and, so uh, fill in the listeners, fill, in, fill me in. What sort of okay. props, what sort of uh, skills were you using to make these props? Okay, so I, I, I'm very fortunate that I can turn my hand to anything. So um, if somebody came to me and wanted a head of the Prime Minister as a caricature, I could sculpture that up. Um, if somebody came to me and wanted uh, a replication of a, of a um, I don't know, a computer enlarged or, or a, a, pen, a, a pen enlarged to maybe 600 long, I can do all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, there aren't many skills that, in the, that you can use with your hands that I can't, not, that I can't do. So uh, I've been very fortunate that way. Mm. Um, so uh, 
you know, something might come up like for Max Gillies, a knife's got to go through his hand. So I would design and make the, the knife that went through his hand. Um, uh, certainly all the making something look realistic as far as you might see, that would be me that would do that. Um, so after a while, I, I suppose that probably the, the more ex- interesting prop and, and one of the things I left the industry uh, of prop making was uh, I was given a, a job to make a Dorito corn chip, which is a brand of, of chip, I'm not sure if it's still around, right. um, into a guitar. <laughs> so it was for a street, a Paris street scene and and so I did that, um, but I went down and bought a, um, a guitar, second-hand guitar, bought it back, made the Dorito corn chip, then had a friend come around and tune the guitar, and he played it. But that wasn't the brief. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm going far beyond the brief for amusement <laughs> for myself. So, um, You've got to love what you do, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you should, yeah. I'm immediately so, thinking that would be like an Ibanez guitar, you know, that sort of look, you know, ZZ top but with a chip, you know. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> uh, don't know whether it was a successful uh, ad, but it, it certainly looked good. Um, so I thought, well, I'd like to give, a, uh, give it a crack at maybe doing art directing. But I suppose... Um, before I got to that point, um, I had experience and in, in, to get into, into art, uh, prop making, I, I went around um, uh, prior to this to the, um, looking for the film for a film industry or some way of getting into the the uh, prop making industry. Um, I heard about a, a film that was being made uh, called uh, Sky Pirates, and uh, I was I, I was able to get in, in, into that. And I was working with somebody who was, was younger than me, uh, about 21, 22, and I didn't think he had as many skills. But I couldn't understand how the hell did this person get to where he was. And, and again, you know, being a shy person, I, you know, I'm observing things but not putting my foot forward. Um, and it's something I've learned you know, through you know, to get where I am now is that no, don't be shy about putting yourself forward. Mm. And I learned I've got this to just jump in here because, uh, Peter, it strikes me as remarkable that you would regard yourself as a shy person. <laughs> you would now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would now. I mean, I, you know, if anybody knows me, yeah, I, I wear the brightest shirts and uh, uh, pinkle, um, pinkle shoes with the brightest matching colors and... Yeah, you see me coming from a long way now. <laughs> high <laughs> vis, you're a high vis individual. High, high vis, definitely. <laughs> Is this part of the strategy? To I mean, so I'd like to hear the end of this story. Um, sure. So I observed this person, and I thought, how did it, how did he get to manage the prop department of a film industry of a film uh, mm. film rather? And, and then I overheard him on the phone a few weeks before the end of the film, and he was just ringing up film companies telling him that who he was and what he did and that they needed him. And I thought, how, how audacious, how, how could you possibly <laughs> have the frontery to do that? And I remember um, years earlier overhearing my father describing, it may have been Teddy Whitten, uh, a footballer, uh, it may not have been him, but somebody walked into a football club in, in Melbourne and said, look, um, uh, I want to play for you. And they said, well, why would we need you? He said, well, give him the football. And he went out there and uh, and they put him in and he, he did a, you know, he worked until his 30s. It was that frontery and I remembered that. Um, so anyway, so when I, I um, 
was touting my to become a prop maker. I I went around. Um, I think I got the yellow pages with one hot summer, and I went to ninety four or ninety six uh, different addresses. Many of them being uh, empty car parks or service stations or you know, vacant blocks. Um, I, I really thoroughly went out there and put myself out there. I came across a, uh, a Peter Armstrong, a special effects, um, a very good special effects artist uh, with Brian Pierce. Um, and they were working in a, a, a region in South Melbourne, which was where all the, the film companies or uh, advertising companies seemed to, well, that, that was their base. He said, look, um, there's a, Company doing um, a show called Anzacs, a television series, a three-part series. I go and talk to a guy called um, Bill, so Bill um, Re- Regan. So I wandered down a few, a few doors down, and nervous as hell, walked in and uh, and uh, walked upstairs, went to the receptionist, and I said, "Look, uh, will I be able to see uh, Mr. Bill Regan?" and she said, oh, look, I'm sorry, he's not here. And uh, as that happened, I hear footsteps up behind me and uh, feel the presence of somebody walking behind me. And she looked up and said, oh, Bill, this, uh, this is Peter O'Brien. And I just took the lead that he was walking in a direction. I just moved in the same direction towards his office. <laughs> and he opened the door for me and uh, sat me down. He said, well, you know, what, what, are you, what was I seeing you about? Yes, I said, you weren't. I said, but I understand you've got a, a film about to kick off and uh, you need me. Hmm. He says, is that right? All right, smart Alec. Go across the road and talk to a guy called uh, Les Bins, the art director. So it's, now I'm shaking as I cross the road, walk into uh, Les Bins, I introduce myself and I said, uh, Bill Regan says you need me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got to take the lead. And uh, he said, oh, right, does he? Okay. He said, well, um, can you make this? And he just draw some jagged lines on a, on a, um, a chalkboard. Mm. And I said, these are trenches. I said, yeah, I can do it. I can do that. And he said, okay. Uh, can you start straight away? I said, yep. And he said, what do you need to, to make that? I said, oh, I'll need $10,000. What? I said, yeah, I'll need $10,000 to get all the timber and get all that stuff started. Uh, so it was all the all the front, but it all worked. Um, <laughs> the harder harder thing the following day was um, I bought got all this timber. I've got you know, six guys working for me, compressors, board, and stuff like that. And they said, "Look, we need another fourteen thousand dollars to to get the rest of the staff." I said, "I can't go back and and see him and just you know, ask him." He said, "One of the guys pulled me aside. I said, Pete, you know, you just go in there and you say." If you want to make omelets, you've got to crack eggs. <laughs> so in I went and I said, I need another $14,000. And he hit the roof. He said, no, I just gave you ten. I said, well, you know, Liz, if you want to make omelets, you've got to crack eggs. He said, oh, fair enough. He just wrote out a check. Go over and see Bill and get the money. And that was it. That was the start of uh, a pretty good prop-making industry. Or business for me. Did you have people that were guiding you through this time? That sort of mentors or or people? No, no, no one. No. You just sort of picked up uh, snippets off twenty-one-year-olds and uh, yeah. followed their lead. Yeah. I, or did I, what worked, I guess. I did what worked. I just thought, well, you know, well, I guess the difference here is Australia is is so good. 
know, you can you can become anything you want to become. In if you if I was in America and I was a prop maker, I'm pigeonholed for that for the rest of my life. Here you can actually say, okay, look, I had a crack of that. I have a crack of something else, mm. and people will let you. Mm. So when I when I want to become an art director, after the Dorito corn chips, I just started saying to um, the, uh, my directors and producers I was working with, I say, look, why don't you use me as an art director next time you're thinking of a commercial? And you say it often enough, and they'll give you a give you a go. That that would not ha- happen in many other cultures. So with these transitions that you've done, Pete, from you know the various stages in your life you've you've had many transitions do you find making the transition a tough decision or is it just you know no nah, i've had enough of this i'm going to go do something else and uh and fairly carte blanche laissez-faire approach i think and, and that's also on a personal level you, you talk about how people change mm. i think uh like most people I, i'm avoiding the change. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I let it build until you know, enough is enough. Um, you know, I, I, I want to do some great changes, but then you say, well, look, I have a responsibility as I do at the moment for the employees I employ and, and the networks I've set up that I can't do what I want to do or those big changes. Um, so generally, it, in in my early life, yeah, it was, well, very distinct, like, well, I, I don't want to be a prop maker anymore. It's, I'm not getting any satisfaction out of it. Um, so I hope that answers your question. And is that driven pro- primarily, you mentioned, you know, the money before. It, money is a great motivator for many people. Was it the creative aspect or the money or is the, the <laughs> it fact was, it that was the a, two it was, laid over the top of each other equals? Oh, God, stuff? no, it was, it was the creative side of it. The, yep. the money was, I mean, back in, I mean, we're talking back in the 80s. Um, no, I know I, and I was, as I said, I was flavor of the month for prop making, and then mm. after that, flavor of the month for a short while as, as an art director on, on television commercials. The um, no, I, I, I look, I sort of lived a retiring life in my thirties. Like I used to go out uh, dinner uh, every night, restaurants, and you know, they they keep my wife and I out at one you know, one o'clock. You know, you've got to go home now. You know, sort of out of our <laughs> kitchen. We saw it. <laughs> Well, it was the restaurant, on, it was a pub on the corner of Brunswick Street and uh, and uh, Johnson Street, which had a great restaurant. Um, provincial. A provincial, yeah, yeah. So that we we considered that our kitchen. You know, like you know, we we belonged there. You know, and we'd be the night cat and my, our friends and so forth. So during my thirties, when I was prop making, I thought, well, I don't get out of bed unless there's four hundred dollars in it for me. So we didn't <laughs> just sort of. So it was the money was there. I mean, I remember, you know, one week. Uh, I think my biggest week um, in art directing was earning twenty eight thousand dollars. I thought, well, no, that's a pretty good week. Mm. Moving to manufacturing, that wasn't going to happen for a very, very long time. Yep. Um, so the motivator was for uh, to be creative, to have to have interest. And and have you attached defined goals in that process? So you you know mentally you're thinking. Um, I'm not into prop making anymore. I want to be an art director. I want to go into film, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you attach goals, or do, are there goals involved in how you measure success, your personal success, or even your self-esteem uh, through this process? Is it attached to finite goals? No, um, I'm a Sagittarian. No, we, we're travellers, so we're travelling through experiences as, as well. Yep. So, you know, get to to a um, 
so when I, when I wanted to become a, uh, an art director, it was like, well, I'll just that that looks like a, an okay job where I can be creative, and you know, it was it was good. But when uh, towards the end of that, um, I. I wasn't being. I wasn't happy at it anymore. I didn't want to live. The, I, know, I certainly didn't participate in the drugs and and uh, uh, the the pally rubbing up against one another uh, mm. after work and so forth. That it was required in as from the the art directing agency side of things. Um, the the working. I have to say the film industry. Uh, uh, the people who work behind the scenes actually get everything together. They are the best people. You know, if you want something done straight away, everybody's professional. They all lend a hand. They all do it, mm. and it's done properly. So that I, I do miss that a bit. But um, sense, you know, of, sense of team, you know, on a project. Um, not even that. Just a sense that if something's required, it'll be the best that anybody can do because mm. everybody is highly skilled. And that's just a joy to work with when you know, you're asked some of the impossible things and you all pull it off. Mm. Um, you know, it's great. How, how do you um, try to capture that element in, in business as a, as a manufacturer these days? Um, as, a uh, as a manufacturer, I, I, I go out and, insp- and, and, and go to the, uh, to the factory the factory is right behind my office anyway. But I go out there on a you know, regular basis and check things. And I, I'm the quality control freak. You know, and from that, you nurture people up to to doing their best work. You know, and you and you ask for help. You know, you're not always the one that you know, knows everything. Mm. Um, and there's never one way of solving an issue. Mm. That, that's probably the, the the biggest thing. You know, when I, is that there's ne- never one way, one answer to anything. If there was, we'd all have the you know, the one type of mobile phone. <laughs> so you, you you talk about being a manufacturer now. Uh, so there's a big jump from art director, prop maker. Do you consider you're an inventor? You know, you manufacture something yeah. that you've created. So it's still on that creative angle. And um, so that transition, you you were inventing things. You're saying, hey, I think that I'd like to try and make something you've come up with a concept um you want to explain a little bit more about that process yeah sure i was um i became disenchanted with the with the film well more the agency advertising agency side of things um anyway i had a um an idea for something which was a was which was an invention um and i was busy working on that when somebody approached me to solve a, a problem um this was somebody who was a friend from the um, who'd been with a labeling uh, application machinery base, and um, uh, he came one day knocking and said, "Look, you know, there's a need for a machine that operates on pneumatics, no electricity in what's called volatile atmospheres. These are these are factories which have either dust which will explode or chemicals which will explode." Um, so I said, yeah, sure, we can you know, make anything. So I solved the problem. We made a machine. Made it, uh, it operated on air, on air only, on compressed air. And um, I said, well, there you go. He said, well, but I don't want to sell labeling machines. I said, well, you've come to me. I've made this with you. Uh, I've put all this money into it. I need to recoup. He said, but I, I don't want to sell labeling machines. And I wasn't a salesman. 
Um, so I uh, we mulled it over, and uh, a few days later, I said, "Good, rain." I said, "Great idea." I said, "Why don't we put an electric motor on it, go around the wine and string, and get our wine tax deductible?" <laughs> and so that's how I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, so, I've, I've had similar ones along this line. but <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we did that, went on to uh, South Australia. It just turned out that the Grand Prix was on and we couldn't get anybody at the winery. We thought, well, oh, we'll go and see the Grand Prix. So we drove up to the actual gate where only, I think five car parks from the gate and just walked straight in. Um, <laughs> that was a hoot. And then uh, we wandered down to Coonawarra and, and I saw us lovely old lady uh, uh, from Zima Estate. Uh, Mrs. Zima had created this sort of a labelling machine. She'd had this old wooden thing and driven a nail into it and indexed a bottle to it. And I thought, there's, no, there's got to be a better way. So between Kunawara and home, I, in my mind, I designed a machine. And I went out the following, on a Saturday morning the following day and I made it and... No, very little has changed to what I've got today. And that invention I patented back in, in 1992. Um, and we're now starting to see people copy it, uh, but not copy it well. How, how does that, you know, so that's, a, that's 21 years ago at the moment. Yeah, I've got um, the great hair to prove you're a You're a creative person. How is it satisfying your creative needs? Um, the... Business side of stuff is is creative. I mean, the, the, the challenge, the constant challenge, the, 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 the moving the goalposts. You know, you're not talking what, about the accounting part here, right? Eh? Oh God, accounting. no, <laughs> that's definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. No, uh, it probably should be. The um, no, no. When there's always things changing, so the market changes. Like what what works in trade shows today doesn't work tomorrow. You know what everybody thinks uh, uh, website works today. It will it won't be working. In, you know. When the next thing comes along, yeah. Uh, so it's the challenge these days is to, whilst the markets of the world are, uh, have been depressed, is now getting out there. Like I've just done twenty-eight flights, I think. I've got only one more trade show to go. I've done ten trade shows, uh, nine trade shows for this year. Wow. Um, and it's getting around the world and introducing yourself to new potential distributors, nurturing those, getting back out there for when, when the markets turn in their, in their environment or in their region. So you're still uh, breaking eggs to make omelets? Yeah, yeah I, I am. I'm, you know, I, you're right. I hadn't thought of that analogy, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm spending everything I've got coming in to uh, get the brand in front of people. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of hotel rooms. As I'm sure, uh, Richard, you'll appreciate it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> I think uh, anyone who's been on the road and, uh, you know, as a former musician uh, and, and obviously knowing lots of people in the entertainment industry, um, that sort of trade show travel, um, living out of a suitcase is, is painful. And it comes <clears> at a price, obviously, uh, you know, not being home, not being with uh, family and friends and so on. So it's, it's a big investment into... Uh, into whatever you, it is that you're believing in. Speaking, yeah. speaking of which, I mean, what would be your number one career goal now and what are you doing about that? Uh, my goal is to, to um, re- remove myself from the, the coalface 
when I realized I do, you know, being the, 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 the person that uh, invented, owns a business and, and, and does the manufacturing, mm. that I, I still need to be seen by, by the distributors. That, that's, that's a given. I have to, no, that's my role to continue to, to visit markets. Yep. Um, but to remove myself from the day-to-day so that I can actually put new products of, of different names. I mean, I've designed many things. Mm. Um, I, I designed a, a, a product that didn't take off, which was a, a handbag made in the shape of a Mercedes handbag. Um, and I did go and visit Mercedes-Benz and BMW and, you know, and, and be with the right people. Mm. Um, so I um, – to answer your question – I need to put on a salesperson. Mm. I've just been reluctant in, in the way uh, uh, until I see uh, stable sales. I'm probably you know, I'm just a little bit reluctant. I'm probably a month away from, from putting that person on. Mm. Um, you, and then once, that's you, your short-term goal? That, that's the short-term to lead to the long-term goal, which mm. is to design new product and put them into the marketplace. No matter, not around labeling machines, but around different uh, – bringing stuff to market. And that's systemization of your existing business to free you up sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, Peter, what, what would be the golden nugget that you would um, – the piece of advice that you would give to people, you know, younger uh, people starting out in their careers, maybe contemplating jumping out of something they already do, starting a business, whatever? Okay. Um, well – Fact number one is nobody's, nobody knows you and nobody's going to come and knock on your door. Right? So if you put in mind how do people become you know, directors, producers, whatever, yeah. you've you actually got to put yourself out there. And if you're going to put yourself out there, you know, be, a half, be a half glass full. You know, go out there and give it your best pitch and be able to you know, make sure you can back it up. There's no point if you can't back it up. But, you know, you put your foot forward. That would be my advice. Okay. And, and look, no, don't, be, no, don't ever be afraid. I mean, I remember when I was at art school, you know, and I was heard about, um, it was a Carl, I think it was Carl DeAndre, a sculptor who uh, cast body parts and you know, made, made parts. And uh, I was probably 19 years of age. And I wanted to uh, do a casting for a, a sculpture I was making. And I asked the school of, uh, of RMIT whether I could use their phone. They said, yeah, to do an international call. <laughs> and uh, I rang Carl DeAndre in, in, uh, in America. And he said, I did the party. He answered. And he said, wow, man, you're ringing from Australia? You know, if, if you don't ring up, if you don't ask, <laughs> you, know, you, you won't know. Mm. So, I, I, Great you know, advice. Just, so, okay. Peter… Um, it's time for a little game we like to play on uh, oh. Careers Unplugged, um, a little game we like to call Blankety Pranks. So your task will be to fill in the blank of a famous quote which relates to careers and success. Okay, I'm not going to be in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a supportive thought, you know? <laughs> well, well, actually, we, we can give you an option here because, um, in fact, let us ask another question quickly, just off the cuff. If you hadn't had your own career, is there someone else's career that you would have had, you would have no. loved to have had? No, no, uh, no not at all. Uh, you know, there, there have been tough times, but um, I love what I do. Um, for anybody, who's, you know, if you can't look for something to do, find out what you like doing. Mm. And if you make that a job, 
the days that you really don't want to turn up because something pisses you off, you'll still go because you like what you do. Mm. Mm. And to answer your question, I actually, you know, I, I, I'm pretty happy with what I've done <laughs> and where I am. Well, then I think you should answer these questions as yourself. Um, so, Rich, why don't you kick off with, uh, with the first one? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Blank is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And this is a quote by John Lennon, which... Uh, yeah, that's right. Life. Yeah. Yeah. That one's probably the one that's going to hurt me the most. Taking <laughs> that last breath thing. Damn. I know right. I was going to well, do I'll that. kick off with one by Frank Sinatra. Another singer. Another singer. Um, the best revenge is blank. Uh, having a big credit card. <laughs> In the I like it. Name. I, I like it. I like it. Now we're going to give you one from Aristotle. There is only one way to avoid blank: do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Uh, look, when you started that off, I just started thinking of a toilet seat. I don't know why. <laughs> just, and, 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 and really, it's just making sure there's no glad wrap over. <laughs> well, on that note, Pete, thank you so much for being on the show. That's uh, about all we've got time for in this episode. And uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing. We've really enjoyed hearing your story thank of your journey. You Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Stuart. I really appreciate it. And to all of you at home, in the car or wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Make sure you visit Careers Unplugged. Go to Facebook, leave your comments, and of course, give this episode a five-star rating on iTunes. Do it for Pete. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life, career, and business. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.